0: Welcome to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. This is the place to learn how to get through your worst rock bottom and start to embrace adversity. I'm your host, Petra Belzebor. I'm a therapist and a life coach, but my biggest learning is from my own rock bottom. My story includes being raised in a cult, dealing with depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts, and alcoholism. But along the way, I've learned to turn my entire life around to one of success, joy, and fulfillment. So in this podcast, I'll be talking to people from all walks of life who've done the same. I'll be teasing out the skills and tools necessary as well as using my own experience to teach you how to turn your adversity into your biggest advantage. Hey guys, welcome to the show. Uh, I'm going to talk to Robin today. Uh, He's a professional coach. He's got such a good story just from uh, growing up in South Africa, moving to London at 16. I could have talked to him for hours. uh, But the key thing here is three rock bottoms that he's faced in his life where he flatlined emotionally, had complete corporate burnout. um, And his message and exactly what I needed to hear today is simply choose life, nurture your intuition, your integrity, Follow your passions. You don't have to know everything about your purpose or the outcomes. Follow your passion and your sense of aliveness is what you're looking for. And it's not about judging happy feelings or sad feelings because you're going to get both of those in absolute full measure when you choose life and you're fully alive. I relate to so much of it. You're going to enjoy this episode. Here you go. All right, welcome everyone to the Adversity to Advantage podcast once again. Today we've got Robin Collin uh, on the line with us on Skype. Um, he would describe himself as a conscious leader seeking truth and transformation. Welcome to the podcast, Robin.
1: Hi, Petra. Pleasure to be here.
0: So nice to have you. Um, so, so give us a little bit of context, fill in, fill in the blanks for us. What are, what are you passionate about at the moment?
1: You know, as, I, as you introduced me there, Um, truth and transformation. The reason why I say I'm passionate about that, you know, truth. Is there a universal truth? Uh, I'm still figuring that one out. And transformation, sorry, go back to truth. It's about integrity. All we can do, myself and I hope for others, just be in integrity with yourself. That's, That's the truth, right? And then transformation comes from that. Transformation because Uh, And this is my passion in life, right? Transformation is about change, uh, progressive uh, evolutionary change. That's happening whether we like it or not. Uh, I think you need to get on the bus, and some people don't. And I get on the bus, and I've been doing that my whole life. um, And for that reason, haven't followed your traditional path. Um, but it's taken me on fabulous ways uh, it's, uh, it's been pretty tough at times, but I've also enjoyed wild successes and I look forward to sharing more about that here
0: I'm excited um, I, I like how you you know talk about uh, not going down sort of the traditional path. I completely uh, relate to that, and it's just amazing what we we learn along the way. Yeah. So, so give us a little bit of context. If we go right back to, to your childhood and, and where you grew up, I mean, do you think your, your parents or even the education system sort of prepared you for sort of the real world,
1: real life? Um, well, yes, in its own way. Um, and let me, let me give you that context. So born in the UK, actually, yes. um, six months after I was born, family uh, moved to sunny South Africa. Lovely. And um, in the, on the East Coast. And I think I was very blessed to grow up in such an outdoor adventure, beautiful country, um, real soulful place uh, at, at that certain time. Um, schooling was good. In my primary years, I, um, I went to a good school, boys school, and was well educated. And then the wheels fell off around about 12 years old. And that was a combination, probably of that old puberty stuff, but probably because my father remarried, um, uh, a new woman came into the family home who brought with her a religious faith that was very strong and thrown down our throats, which I didn't appreciate and didn't respond to very well at all. And then in combination to that, went to a high school and uh, went to a, um, a not such a good high school. It was okay, but it was a high school that wasn't a follow-on from my boys' school. So a combination of what was going on at home and a school system which was very different and um, not as engaging and as disciplined as I needed. Uh, by the age of 13, 14, I had completely disengaged um, from everything, having a big problems at home, uh, and I was a real fierce thinker, a real fierce uh, leader even at that time where I kind of knew I knew my own truth and I didn't like conforming to all these like rules around at the home, around the re- religious faith, and then at school. So by 15, to answer your question about did it prepare me, at 15 I left everything. I left my family. Uh, I think it was the end of 15. I think I'd just gone 16. I left my family. I left my school. Um,
0: who, who were you living with? Were you living, because I'm imagining your parents were divorced and then your dad remarried. Were you, were you living primarily with your, your mom or, or how was that working?
1: Yeah, I was living with my, uh, my father, actually. Um, again, yeah. untraditionally, the mother left the kids with the father. That just worked in our family. Um, father and two boys, new wife came in. So I was living with my father. Got it. And, it, you know, here, here were my challenges. Looking back, knowing what I know today. My challenges as a kid was I didn't have emotional support. I had – my father was well off. We had everything we needed as kids. But the thing that lacked – I look back now – Wow. What I hope for any family, for children, is emotional intimacy. Families, parents that are emotionally available for their children to help them process what's going on for them. I never, honestly, never had any of that. I had to do it myself, which is eventually what pushed me to leave. So
0: it all just built up from the age of 12 to 15 you sort of start going down uh, the wrong path in inverted commas. Um, I'm curious about the the sort of intense religious side of things, because that relates to some of uh, my upbringing and how that was sort of pushed down your throat.
1: Yeah. Um, the One of the themes of my life, I'm a deeply spiritual person, mm. and that theme started very young. Um, my earliest memory is six years old. Really? And and what happened from the age of six were what I describe as mystical experiences. It's a common condition in the human experience, of course, because we live in a world that's far more complex than we all fully probably get. Of course. And, and we all have these flurries or fleeting experiences of whatever language we want to call it, the divine and God and all of that. We have these profound experiences that uh, some people more than others. Yeah. Mine started off young. I was six. Uh, premonitions, strong visions— I started getting access to some uh, access to some weird and wonderful. I use the word power, like uh, working with elemental forces in nature. It was pretty wild. like I was a yeah. young, I was a young kid, um, very much alone in my own reality, surrounded by a family that wasn't very present. and um, that I, I was, and I, I was growing up as a very young boy, entering into my teens with a very clear sense of the spiritual world. So a religious woman coming in with her verse and doctrine and dogma, like black and, or white thinking. Oh my goodness! <laughs> it it just it. And again, I was too young to really intellectualize what was going on, but I but I fought. I became aggressive, uh, became fought, and in her words, I was demon-possessed, which is the worst thing to tell a young kid. Oh, yeah. But she told me that.
0: And this this isn't just somebody random telling you this. This is meant to be your new caregiver, your new stepmother, somebody who's there to look after you.
1: Totally. Totally, totally, totally. And it was, of course, very self-serving for herself and wasn't listening to me. I tried to, um, uh, and I remember at the age of like uh, 12, I think mm-hmm. 11 maybe, 11, 12, having fierce arguments about um, religion and spiritual views in the world with mm-hmm. uh, this woman. And I think she, she appreciated the good argument, and she did, but it caused a huge rift between us. So um, the what I didn't like was the very, I, I viewed it as a very limited view. It 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 had some it had too many rules, and the thing the the experiences I were having, which were not dark, were not evil. They were just experiences that I was having, and tried to share them. The only framework that could be uh, mirrored back to me through this dogma was evil. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, it's evil because it's not in this text. It's power that is not of yours. It's therefore it's evil.
0: Therefore, there's something wrong with you.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So, so for years, for a good few years, I was made out to be wrong, uh, evil, etc. Yeah. And and that's why, I th- um, again, talk about truth and integrity. At that age, I would not bend and say, I'm not going to listen to you and live your life. I need to leave this world, my schooling, my home. I need to leave that environment so I could continue in my truth with my integrity. And so where did you go? well I am um, I, uh, by the time I was probably what was I must have been 16 but I left uh, I first left school mm-hmm. stayed working uh, stayed at home for about six months I, I got a job at a restaurant um, I had a motorbike that my mother bought me a while back uh, between the money I made there and I sold a motorbike that I had I um, I had enough money to buy a ticket out of the UK into um, out of South Africa back to the UK wow. Now, now, bear in mind, that I'm 16. Yeah. About six years ago, uh, six years before, when I was 10, my father and I and my brother did some travels, and uh, he took us internationally, took us to London, took us to the States. So I have a uh, so one. I had a memory of London and the tube. Gr- I used to love going around the, the underground with the maps, etc. Yeah. And my brother, my older brother, had recently returned from uh, a year doing the typical bar work in London.
0: Yeah.
1: So. So your brother was older than you? Yeah, he was older. Right. And and he told me about a mate he had living in central London in Battersea, mm-hmm. and that I could go and live with him if I wanted to. Now, um, so I bravely kind of uh, had a British passport, had been through London before, so I went to the travel agent on my own with some money, and I said to him, hey, my grandmother's given me some money, and uh, I've got mm-hmm. my passport, I'm going to go visit her. Can I buy an airplane ticket? <laughs> yeah. And then a cut kind of long story short, got a ticket and went home, told sort of, you know, the family life, it was a bit, was bittersweet, you know, it was like, um, it was amicable, like we we could at home, stepmother wasn't, we, we had a, a less than relationship. My father was always good. My father was a fascinating man. He's not alive anymore, but my father was fascinating. He always supported me in anything I wanted to do, but I've always had this conflict with, wow. He, he offered no structure, no discipline, no boundaries. And that's probably too loose for any child. And yet I can't d- deny that it gave me, you know, I, I regret nothing in my life because of where I am today. Mm. So it was a really interesting approach my father took. So my father and I were still on terms, but, you know, not like a normal father's son. So when I went back to him with my airplane ticket, I said, Father, I'm leaving. And I think he, I think I remember him saying, he looked at me and went, <laughs> I think his his comment was, "Son, you're responsible for your life. Don't look back. Get on with it." Something mm-hmm. like that. So that is so your experience that as supportive. Yeah, totally. And, yeah. You know, ha. You know, I'm probably not the easiest person to support, but it uh, at the time uh, I thank him for letting me go. And I well, not that he was going to stop me, but I so I left. So and that was when that's how that came about. And and Jed sets it off to London that's quite, quite
0: an age. I remember I moved away from home at 16 and at 17, I got on a plane to Russia. Um, and I remember having the bravest face in the world. And as soon as my family said goodbye and I went through the barriers and went round the corner, like my face just crumbled. Uh, and I just had to pull myself together and begin my life's adventure, you
1: know? Yeah, uh, totally. When you say crumble, it's amazing because uh, I had that as well about oh, maybe a couple months after. No, actually, I lied. The day I arrived, I land in Battersea. I arrived in London, went to see my, this friend of my brother's in Battersea. Yeah. How naive I was. I had a, an address on a piece of paper and my brother's word that he's spoken to this guy and wow. that I could go stay with him. Uh-oh. Cut a long story short. Couldn't get hold of him. Couldn't find him. Oh, God. <laughs> so – so sitting on a bench, and, and then, I, then, the, then the aloneness and the uh, gravity of what I'd done sunk in.
0: <laughs> yeah, you're on your own now.
1: Yeah. So um, there was that. And then a couple months later, I had, had a moment of also d- a real loneliness, like you had, like you just described, of like reality check, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah, ter- the fear. Uh, yeah. Like, what the fuck have I done? Where do I go from here? Totally. But totally. there's no going back, right? You've got to keep your head held high and just put one foot in front of the other.
1: Exactly, exactly. And, and, and I did that, and it was a lonely, uh, I think it was six, seven, maybe eight months. I was in, on my own in London working bars and doing various things. And I did have some support. I had a half sister, which was a sister from my father's first marriage who I didn't know, but she knew me through my father, obviously. And I eventually ended up meeting up with her and uh, staying with her for a little bit as well. Um, so I had some support along that way. But it was otherwise a really lonely time, and lying to everyone, because I was, a, I was quite a big guy, I got away with saying I was older, 19, rather than 16. Oh, no, right. one, no one questioned it. Mm-hmm. Um, so lying, not telling the truth, uh, hiding up your cover, not having the years of experience of 19 to go with it, etc., it, yeah, it was a tough time. And I
0: imagine it taught you resourcefulness and survival and some of those skills.
1: Yeah, it really did, and it's interesting. We'll come to it later, I'm sure. And part of my growth as an adult, I've had to uh, not unlearn, but uh, uh, let's say unwind some some fierce patterns. And the patterns that started from there was exactly what you just said: survival, fight or flight, fight or flight. So it's survival, and that this the conditioning that started from this age was: I'm alone, it's a fight. Got to survive. Yeah, and work hard. And it's like you know, walk away from those who don't accept you. Yeah, and this is a world of survival. That was a pattern that that grew out of that era.
0: And like you only have yourself to rely on.
1: Totally. Exactly. Uh, trust. Trust no one. Right. Um, this you, is you, where
0: you, the downside comes in, right?
1: Yeah. <laughs> trust no trust no one, you can do it yourself. And don't get me wrong. I mean, I'll tell you some amazing stories. I did it all myself and I I had a a fantastic time. Yeah. And that's a pattern that sounds great, but it's, uh, what's the downside? The downside is, um, uh, um, I say, I say alone. Um, I've never suffered loneliness, but it's like alone. Um, what I learned later was uh, intimacy. So one of the things I value greatly in human experience is intimacy between people, like real, genuine emotional connection with people, requiring an openness, an openness to be with the other person.
0: Which and, has loads
1: of risk attached. Ah, oh, risk, uh, vulnerability. Oof, yeah, uh, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And that was the um, that was the stuff that. Um, I shut myself away from, if you like, as a result of those experiences from early age. Um, And it took, I don't know, probably, what's the date now? It's probably the last seven years. That's fiercely been unwinding those patterns. And it's, um, and we'll come back to that, but that's, that's amazing. So it's going alone, survival, the world, it's you and the world around you. And um, don't don't get too close to people. Don't um, don't fully trust everyone, and that'll keep you safe. And don't get me wrong, I wasn't an unhappy person, but it, it, it and it was so subtle. It took years of development and looking back and uncovering those patterns that go, wow, they're there. They, yeah. they weren't they weren't obvious, but those are the patterns that drive us.
0: Well, and they play out in in relationship, as you said, and and intimacy.
1: Totally. Totally. I love that. you just reminded me of that saying that says, the things we don't know about ourselves drive us much harder than the things we do know.
0: So, oh, that's very true. Very yeah. true. Okay. Yeah. So you're in this time of you know survival, resourcefulness. You're obviously making some kind of a living. Did you have an idea at that time of, of the type of work that you wanted to do or maybe what your purpose was in the world? Or was it just, I've got to make some cash in order to live?
1: Uh, there was nothing about purpose, nothing about knowing what I was going to do. It was just making some cash. Yeah. And, um, I think the purpose was living my own on truth. my own. Yeah, my own path, my own truth. So that was it. Wasn't articulating it like that, but of course. It, it felt good.
0: Yeah, it felt like it was your rules.
1: Yeah, exactly. And the the London Venture as a barman didn't last for too long. It was seven or eight months. I flew back to South Africa, didn't go home, went to the beachfront where I was a surfer, by the way, grew up surfing as a kid, was my absolute, that was two obsessions, obsessions, like true obsessions, passionate obsessions in my life. One of them was surfing, uh, and the other is um, the mystical realm, understanding that two things that Um, are my greatest curiosities so surfing because just very quickly surfing because it was the total it was the complete deal for me uh it was the working with the ocean physical very physical a lot about rhythm a lot about balance sunshine uh fitness the whole works it was a whole it's a
0: very spiritual mindful activity
1: oh completely it was very soulful connected Uh to nature all of that totally so those two things were my passion so going back go live on the coast um, and then started working a bar right on the beachfront. And I spent, I'm looking back now, I spent um, a year, a year there. And I like talking about purpose and passion. It was just about living life. Sounds so like a I, good life. Oh, it was amazing. A year on the beach, mm-hmm. uh, working in a bar on the beach, surfing every day, a uh, bunch of older people that I've made friends with and and here's where it gets a bit wild. I, um, um, I went into a um, – uh, I was, I was uh, teamed up with a girl that was 10 years older than me, like a blind date kind of thing, and uh, she was a really awesome woman. But, uh, and we, we stayed together for a good few months. But take it um, turns out she was the girlfriend, uh, the friend, the good best friend of a woman who was the uh, wife or girlfriend of the drug lord of the city. Oh, my. That's a bit too so, close to home. Yeah, so it it propelled me into probably, if I remember correctly, a year, and I went uh, had a baptism of fire introduction into the drug scene, the underground drug scene, Mm. and uh, don't get me wrong, it was a lot of fun. Sure. It was a lot of fun, um, and abused my body and my mind, uh, all all in pursuit of... Uh, truth and fun because it not only was it fun but it was something it was more about the human experience and absolutely a very consciousness expanding experience
0: yeah and you're still at that stage of trying to understand yourself, your place in the world, the, your connection to the
1: universe what truth is out there exactly and but at this stage I was what 17 uh, so I spent a, a year doing this and by the end of that year it got to a point where physically my intuition was kicking in and was saying hey this isn't right. You need to get out. Um, so um, uh, uh, it, uh, a love for the ocean. A uh, love for the ocean. Jumped on a yacht. Um, uh, did some sailing around the coast. Uh, jumped on a yacht as part of crew to take a yacht down to Cape Town. Mm-hmm. Adventure. Adventure. And um, a very fortunate, uh, a, a fleet of yachts f- uh, sailed into Cape Town Harbor that were sailing around the world. And I managed to jump on one as crew and spent the next year uh, sailing South Atlantic, South America, the Caribbean Isles, North Atlantic, Europe, Amazing. Eventually, eventually ending up back in the UK. So that was um, that was adventure. And you know what that that year did for me? That year, there's a couple of things. There's two things I want to just point to. Uh, firstly, leadership. Um, the endurance, um, well, actually, firstly, the, the thing I value the most was um, time to reflect. Spending weeks, sometimes a month at sea with nothing but you and your thoughts gave me time to reflect and make peace with my um, with my history, my, my childhood, the running away, the fighting, the religious stuff. Mm. And, and this points to one of the biggest lessons I say for every human being. We need okay. This was extreme. I had loads of time uh, sailing, but we need time to reflect. We need quiet time to uh, and and I say alone time to be with ourselves and our own thoughts and to process. And 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 I suppose that's why uh, I work in the professional coaching scene uh, industry. And that's why I think people have a coach, have a personal coach, to make that space and time to reflect.
0: Because it's just like, in such a fast-paced society. It's really hard to, it's like we have to consciously create that time. It doesn't just happen as as, as if you're on at sea or, you know, uh, in
1: nature. Exactly, exactly, because we don't, not everyone has that kind of access, but a, a coach, a trained coach who knows how to hold that space and kind of point the conversation in, totally in service of you, it gives that. Imagine our brains, our minds, our consciousness. Oh, my goodness, it's complex, and it holds a lot of stuff, and it needs processing it doesn't need thinking about everything but there's ways to process and make peace with and everyone is slightly you know configured slightly different and needs their own way but um that's what that year at sea gave me among above anything else and i and the lesson that i took from that was i always need space to just clear my head clear my thoughts and uh realign with just find clarity and um and i found that on that year the uh, the other the other thing that year did for me at sea was, um, uh, endurance, endurance and leadership. Like, uh, we went through some rough seas, uh, days, sometimes weeks on end, where eating was very difficult. Going to the loo was impossible. Um, and the safety conditions, you know, at times you had to, it was, you know, you're not fighting for your life and you couldn't stop. You couldn't turn the light switch off. You couldn't jump off and no, stop, have some, uh, have a break. You can never break. So that teaches you and uh, taught me endurance uh, uh, and leadership, uh, f- aspects of leadership. And teamwork, so, I imagine. Yeah, a lot of teamwork. Um, a lot of teamwork in its own way. So, um, and again, that, so yeah, those are the lessons I took from that was endurance. Um, don't know how much I want to dive into that. But then, and that I think that experience uh, stood me in very good stead because. After that year of sailing, I went back into the scene. I did some scuba diving. Uh, so if you think about purpose, and this is interesting, right? Um, not following the traditional path of schooling and uh, go to university, pick a pick a subject or a degree. Yeah. And that picks your path. And then you go and be a lawyer or be a doctor or whatever it is. Sure. The only thing I was pursuing was my passions, which was ocean Uh, understanding myself and and constantly in tune with nature and the world and what is going on what's the mystical side to this world we live in and that took me sailing around the world it took me into scuba diving i was an instructor i used to teach people in some awesome places uh i went surfing for months uh on safaris in the pacific isles um that was probably so from the age, from the time I left school at 16 to about 22 years old, good six years, my passion and my purpose was uh, somewhat probably self centered and self absorbed, absolutely following my passions. But uh, it was
0: your, your, your driving force, which is an amazing foundation, it sounds like, through the adversity and, and through the hardship. And I, I just want to steer us a little bit um, because of the theme of the podcast is adversity. And I want to just jump in and say, you know, have you experienced or what would you sort of count as your biggest adversity in your life? Or would you consider yourself to have had any kind of rock bottom in the way that we refer to it?
1: Um, After 22, I went into a corporate world in London. Oh, that's a bit of a shift. And I was there for several years. And the rock bottom came at the end of that when I hit 30. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and a little bit of context, cause then like this is where, this is the key thing I wanted to talk about here with you about this adversity was, um, knowing that I'd truly followed my passion and kind of felt what I knew what my passion was, which was the ocean and it has nothing to do with work or earning money. But yeah. when I left South Africa at 22, I was intent on making money. And there's a whole story, which I won't go into now as to how I ended up in this corporate startup company, um, applied for a driver job. They gave me a manager's job and then, Probably because of my life experience, I brought a presence to a management role and stayed with the company several years and climbed the ranks and got into a senior leadership role and did really well. But outside of my passions of the ocean and all of that, this gave me, uh, I just dived into leadership, people, process, management, operations, et cetera. And I devoted myself to this company, did really well, did what we all do in our work. We give a lot and we work hard. And by the end of that period, this is the adversity. I ignored myself. I kind of um, didn't know. I didn't have the experience, and no one, no mentor, was telling me how to know what my boundaries are, my personal boundaries. What, what do I need? I, I think I knew what they were, but I, but I sacrificed them. So, well, and you, you
0: certainly know, didn't learn them at home,
1: no, in the context
0: was, that you describe with your dad and your stepmom and all the rest of it.
1: No, certainly not so um, gave a lot to my work gave a lot to my people that I worked with and um, slowly and slowly and slowly over the years diminishing myself diminishing my energy diminishing my uh, my vitality and uh, it got to a point where um, got to a point where I was just probably 28 29 the the rock bottom started happening when, I, do you know the term like a zombie? Yeah. It was like, you know, that was the telltale, but again, no one was pointing it out to me. So no one sort of was st- doing
0: the sleepwalking through life thing.
1: Sleepwalking through life. And that was the, it took me, I, I, again, I knew it, but I, I, I didn't, uh, this is the, this is the, this is the problem. Your tolerance, your, 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 you, you become this resilient thing and your. Uh, as you start, the more and more you start sleepwalking, the more numb you get, the numb you become, the less able you are to notice what your body is telling you, what your soul is telling you, the more numb you become. And so it's a down, it's a slippery slope. And the problem is the longer you leave it, the harder it gets. Completely. Uh,
0: and often and people t- use escapism of some kind, whether it's drugs, alcohol, sex, you know, addictions, just to, to escape that feeling or to add to the numbness.
1: Yeah, Exactly, and uh, what did I use? I think I, I, I wasn't uh, maybe a little bit of drinking. I was never a big drinker. I was no no doing no more drugs. I think my addiction was work. I think I was mm. a workaholic. Mm. Okay. So, so I, ironically, the things that were causing me my Ill, Ill, Ill issue was indeed the thing that I was addicted to. Of course. Of course. Of course. So, um, hit rock bottom. And rock bottom, rock bottom, the way I describe rock bottom was when I realized that my intuition had gone, I no longer had a sense for things that weren't just the numbers on a sheet. And the, my emotions were, what I, the language that we use now is flatlining, yeah. flatlining, like there was no emotion. And I knew this from little tales, like I'd drive a car and I'd be driving home and there would be a little street that had cars on both sides and only one car could pass at a time. I'd just drive. And when a car meets me on the other side, I literally stop, bump to a bumper, stare mm. the person in the eyes, and with no with no language, it's like I'm, I'm not moving, buddy. Fuck off. <laughs> so like aggression in your like, face. Like aggression, but like a passive aggressive. Like it mm. was like there was wow. no energy to be aggressive. It was just a numbness that was just like like, like really, I'd lost connection with myself. And there were little telltale signs like that that I was not the person I remember myself to be. Yeah.
0: What a what a difference. What a contrast from the guy on the beach who's surfing and, you know, living that good life.
1: Exactly. And and it was like and then it was and then the and then we all face the same I think many people must face the same dilemma. Oh, I've set up a life. I live with an amazing woman, have got a nice house together, I earn great money, I have a car, I've got assets, I've got this, I have got that. I, I I can't leave my job. You should what, be grateful. Should be grateful. What am I gonna do? I can't disrupt the whole status quo, blah, blah, blah. And so I carried on. And the job the company offered me more money and offered me a different job, so I carried on. <laughs> so, yeah. so so I mean it's the worst time to carry on is when I'm feeling completely rock bottom. So effectively i sold my soul for money for at least another year and it got to a point where uh, by the way I, then at some point i took some matters in my hand and i went and got some health checks uh, here's a good one went to my private gp my private doctor who's an amazing man and i said to him i'm not well yeah. and i need some checks so he said well you look in good health and all the science says you're in good health but you know we can do a full blood count like I said, I'll spend whatever it is. Give me the test for everything. So he does a full blood count, and he tests me for everything. And he comes back and says, Robin, you're in perfect health. And I'm like, wow, I am not in good health. So uh, eventually, if someone points me to a nutritionist who then makes me put lots of bodily substances into different vials and whatever, and, and then it comes back um, and says the whole adrenal fatigue, like there was no cortisol, no adrenaline. It was very low, dangerous limits. I should be in hospital, blah, blah, blah. So finally found that my physical body, the, the, the vitality, the life, the hormones that I need to just live with any degree of, you know, zest.
0: Yeah. And have
1: some level of, of happiness or fulfillment completely depleted, um, and gone. So, after quite a bit of time working with her and trying to get some uh, nutritional support and whatever, it got to a point where she just said to me, "Robin, it's not it's not helping you. You need to make a lifestyle shift." And this was the this was the second big choice I'd made in my life where it was rock bottom, and I was like earning good money. I had this whole thing, and I thought, and I made a decision. I, I chose life, and it and I've done this now three times. I did it about two years ago again. And that at that particular time, like when I left home when I was 16, I, I, I call it as I chose life because life is such a gift, being physically alive. So it helps me move past the fear of all this materialistic stuff that we build up around us and that creates this, these sort of, sort of anchors and this un, unreasonable, unrational idea that if we lose this, we don't have it, it's going to cause problems. So I, I chose life. And that was like leaving this job, not earning that income, dealing with our house and our assets and whatever, all of that is of far less significance than life. Do, life-
0: do, can I, I just want to hone in on that sort of experience of you making that decision. It obviously had to get bad enough for you to actually sort of wake up or do something. Did, did, did you, did it help or did you need that nutritionist or other people to highlight how bad the problem was in order for you to make that shift?
1: I did. And the that fierce independent boy of me when I was young is like pissed off that I needed someone else to help. Sure. <laughs> uh, but it's, it, you do because I did. Because you we're all, I know I am, we're blind, we have our own biases, I was stuck. I needed someone to mirror back to me, Robin, this is bad you need to make a change.
0: And it's interesting that it sounds like it was more comfortable for you and, and your pride or your independence to go to a physical health route to get the answers that way rather than to say, in general, I just need help. I feel unfulfilled. I feel flat sort of going to a therapist or a coach or someone like that.
1: Yeah. I mean, at the time I knew a little bit about coaches, but it was because I had physical symptoms. Like I, I knew my body and I had physical symptoms. That's why I turned physical first. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. So, so, I mean, that's it. It's like, and that, that's what I encourage. I mean, I work with, I mean, I'm not a full-time professional coach, but I do work with, with, I do a little bit of um, private coaching and that would be the language I use is choose life. Like, and, and we work out a definition of what life means. Life is like live a human life. Like be, where's that passion? Where's a glimpse of purpose? We don't need to know what our purpose is. Just know what our passion is. Know what integrity is for us. Uh, and that's what really was helped me. And every rock, there's three that I now, two years ago was the last one. There were three times in my life I hit what I call like a rock bottom where, where I had to choose life. And choosing life was like passion. I want to feel a, a sense of aliveness again because that's every human being's right. And whatever barriers and structures and things we built around us or me that I that I'd put in place that wasn't contributing to that, uh, whatever, whatever came from it, having the courage that says whatever transpires from here on, I'm moving, the purpose is moving towards more aliveness, life.
0: And so you make that decision in a moment or in a, in a few moments and, and you recognize that you have to choose life what's the journey like from that point how hard is it to actually get back to that place of full passion and aliveness
1: yeah wow it's here's the thing it's uh, and this is where this is where I will um, promote and advocate a coach working with a personal coach who isn't a mentor who's telling you what to do maybe there's a bit of that if you choose a person for you but a coach who's going to help you process and the reason I say that is it depends how conscious you are, how how aware one person is. And I'll give you this example. Two years ago was the last rock bottom, and my transition from that rock bottom to the one that was uh, several years ago after the corporate of ex- the first corporate experience, very different. Um, what, happened, what happened two years ago. Well, t- two years ago, I was living in Italy for five years. So after my corporate burnout, that's what I call it, yeah. I went off to Italy, and I lived in Italy for five years. Lovely. Beautiful, living life, passion, zestful, etc. recovered my health, reconnected with my spirituality, and reconnected. And at the end of that five years, the rock bottom got to the place where I was, the woman I was living with, the, the life I'd created in Italy, the, the same one was in the corporate life, and we'd created this. Um... Although I'd recovered myself, the the community I was living in in Attili wasn't my community, and the purpose wasn't sufficient enough. There was no purpose. It was um, the the years of self-centered recovery were over, and I was my purpose was calling me back to the UK. And the rock bottom for me was um, making one of the toughest choices I've ever made in my life, which was walking away from my family again, which was the woman I loved. Uh, my beautiful dog, and the reason I walked away was because the woman I loved, uh, we weren't right for each other, and the the life we had created, and my beautiful dog, which was was one of my absolute joys in life, to walk away from that in pursuit of something only I could fully understand. And this is why I say, like, work with a coach if you need to. I think it's really important because the transition. Once you make that choice of choosing life, what's it like thereafter? Oh my gosh, it's a roller coaster. And it's very, it's talk about a level of aliveness. Don't get me wrong. There's aliveness like nothing else. And it's not easy. And it's learning to work with paradox that it's not about being happy or sad. It's about being alive. Sadness, happiness, that's all part of the thing. But it's, Keep moving forward, making progress in line with your integrity. What's true for you? What's the vision? What, where are you pointing? You don't need to know. I don't. I don't need. To, I'm not. I don't need to know exactly what my purpose is in life. As in, like it's defined, like to end world hunger, for example. I don't have a very clearly defined purpose like that. I have mine's a bit more broad, and it's. Uh, and it's, um, it's more just living with integrity of myself in each moment. So that – and I, my advice to people is, you know, if you don't know exactly what your purpose is and your your north star, where you're pointing, what's your integrity? What's your integrity saying? What's your truth saying? And point there. And, and that's where you, having someone who can help you. Uh, mirror back to you, uh, elicit out of you, evoke out of you these truths that you, depending on how much work one person's been doing and how much, how aware they are, um, d- will depend how much work they need to do with a coach, et cetera. Um, yeah. But that journey, Petra, uh, these last two years since I left Italy, came back to the UK. On one spectrum they have been ah, the joy, the success, the aliveness, the everything I wanted, everything I yearned for in community, in intimacy and connection and purpose I've had tenfold, sometimes overwhelming because of what I wanted. And on the other spectrum, the sadness, the pain that I carry, the sadness, the the um the being with and not ignoring pain I may have caused other people and my own pain and sadness for some things that go on, et cetera. Um, That's being fully conscious, not judging it right or wrong. Just that's the human experience. So
0: can I, can I just say, Robin, so I'm I'm sitting here like with a massive uh, grin on my face and it was about two minutes ago that the thought crossed my mind that I just went, that's it. You know, before we went live uh, and started recording the podcast, I said to you, every conversation I have, I hear what I need to hear. Um, In some shape or or another, and two minutes ago, I just went, that's it, in my own mind. Um, And because I'm on a similar roller coaster, and I've uh, left my 13-year relationship with with two kids, uh, simply because it didn't align to my integrity. And it's been the hardest year of my life, um, but it's also been the one where I felt fully fucking alive. Right, yeah. And so I love that you're saying it isn't about you know, judging the happiness or the sadness or attaining something like that. But if you're choosing with integrity and intuition and you're fully alive, you will experience the intense heartbreak. Yes, you will. But you'll also experience the intense joys that are just what it means to be alive. And, and so opposite from that flatlined censoring yourself, which is what I would describe some of my relationship as being, not being able to be my full self. And that you sl- your soul slowly dies inside, and and there comes a point where you've got to just choose whether you want your soul to die and to have a bit of money in your pocket, if that's the choice, um, or to fully be alive and just enjoy the adventure that that is life. And that's oh, that it's 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 an amazing journey, which is terrifying and all of those things. But in a way, maybe our resourcefulness and our and our past has has enabled us to fully grasp this.
1: Yep, well done, Petra. I so. Um, admire the courage to uh to walk away or move on, um, because from a relationship that wasn't serving. Because we live in a society, we live in a world uh, not the entire world, but we live in a society generally that really shuns upon that sometimes. Yeah. And we've got some pretty fucked up uh relationship ideas, issues, I agree, around attachment, codependency. Uh, until death do us, but until death do us part. Bullshit vows. Agreed. <laughs> like, like seriously, p- people, we really need to get over this.
0: And there's a thing about fear and safety. And I remember some of my best friends and even my family going, you know, that look on their face, going, uh, "Are you sure you can survive?" You know. Um, and I just thought, "Fuck you." Of course, I've survived much worse. Of course, I can survive. And if anything, I've been completely thriving. So everything to do with my work, everything to do with my interactions, I feel like I've gone 10 steps forward. Next year, I'm completely going into my own business, which is the next challenge, which I wouldn't have been able to do had I had the relationship to think about or yeah. the, the kind of uh, barriers of, is this okay? Is this right? Is it safe? Is it risk averse? I can be as you know risky as I want and fully follow my integrity, trusting the journey.
1: And, and, and it reminds me that your family reactions etc mine and friends etc and this is just such pointing for everyone out there anyone who listens to this i'm sure you probably know this we live in a world of intense conditioning societal cultural families whatever conditioning like what's been done in the past what are traditional things that we must always do and expectations of others and etiquette and blah 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 yeah. and those things they serve in some some shape and form great and they can also really diminish and are forms of control and forms of conformity which do not serve. So it's that it takes such courageous people to go against the norm, to, to not conform, to go against these structures because the structures and the, the, the worldview, if you like, makes you wrong, makes it tries to make it wrong and makes you the black sheep and whatever yeah, it is.
0: You're at fault. It's back to that blaming thing. If you're not fitting into that traditional uh, religious ideology, there's something wrong with you. And it's a similar sort of conditioning. If you, if you have a partner who loves you and is giving you everything you quote-unquote need or want, what's wrong with you that you're not there to accept it and you want something else?
1: Exactly. And that's where um, a conscious community of friends. So conscious people, there's, there's, I mean, I'm overwhelmed and joyed with how many people there are. I mean, in London anyway, cause that's where I live.
0: Yeah, me too. Um, and, and that's good to highlight because a lot of the fear is that you'll be alone, you'll be cut off, you'll be ostracized. You're the only one who thinks in this sort of way, but there's so many people out there. There's so many communities. If you just put yourself out there and connect and ask.
1: Yeah. And live, exactly. your, live
0: your truth, I think, because when you live your truth, the people that want to live their truth or are living their truth are attracted to that. Uh,
1: and, and, and you will find community in that. And the, some of the pain of, of that is walking away and turning back on other communities.
0: Yeah. But, but in a way you've got to do that first yeah, in a way, exactly. you've got to turn your back in order to be open to, you know, the beauty and the joy of conscious living that's out there.
1: And what I strive for personally is, um, and with communities in my past and my my girlfriend currently, who's um, going through this exactly what we're describing, going through a real fierce experience of this. What I strive for is, when uh, attacks, negative attacks, meaning like anger, hate, resentment, etc., comes from different people, because you're moving on, because you're you're choosing something different, and you're choosing life, and you're moving forward. Uh, when you when other people who you might be walking away from family friends are attacking rather than that allowing getting my back up and turning me into attack mode back it's what i strive for and it takes real conscious effort is compassion it's like not self-righteous bullshit but just good old compassion which is like you know what i totally understand why they're having this experience and why they're angry and why they're fucking pissed off and whatever and i and you know what my approach was, Petra? It was like some of the language I use, which is comes truly from the heart, which is like, hey, you know, this is, none of my actions is done intentionally to hurt you. I have fully conf, uh, considered this you, me, everything. Honoring myself is the best way I can honor you in this relationship, of course. And my longing, my longing, and this is something I really tap into a lot. We either act from fear or love and acting from fear you feed that fear so acting from love is like what do i long for what is the love in me longing for so my longing is this and i'm going to i'm going to act with integrity striving towards a longing that I'm going to articulate. I'm going to voice this longing to anyone and anyone in my path that, that I'm walking away from or walking towards. It's like, this is my longing from love. I get all the fear in me and I can see their fear and they're projecting it onto me and I can feel it, but I'm not going to act from that fear because it feeds that fear.
0: So I've got to to ask you, um, because we haven't got that much uh, time left is what sort of Um, Habits or routines do you have in your life in order to allow you to be able as much as possible to act consciously and act from the place that you're describing?
1: Oh wow, it's um, so I have a so work with a coach um, and help process consciously, and then I I have a um, a spiritual practice um, that I've that I'm deeply committed to in the shamanic world. Uh, In January, actually, I finished a three-year shamanic practitioner program. So find, I call it a spiritual practice. Find, um, my advice is uh, your sacred practice. I call it sacred, like a sacred practice, a way for a person to spend in quiet, sacred space and reflect and connect with themselves and the world around them, the universe whatever that looks like there's so many flavors of this people must find their version of it i would say that is the number one thing that's got me through my my life is sacred space make time and space for for that sacred connection how
0: how frequently would you suggest is the kind of optimum amount to to create that space and time
1: so um do you know, I so don't have a structure like that because I uh, people will say, go and meditate for half an hour a day. Mm. I would say meditation for me is, is a form of reflection and a form of uh, that sacred space. And I would say I carry that with me as often as possible in every single moment. So, But if I had to give you a structured time, I have sacred prayer space time, morning and evening. It could be wake up in the morning and I, it could be one minute. And I yeah. connect and I say prayer Evening, same thing, probably a bit longer. So, um, and then some days, two hours in the evening, I'll spend in a sacred space. So I don't have a structure as such, but I think my what I to make it real and to make it stick and to make it part of you, not just something in your diary for half an hour in the morning. It it must I strive to make it part of my every day, every moment existence. So you're That's trying it. to
0: kind of live and breathe it. But yeah. equally, I love what you're saying: is find what's right for you. Everyone's different. Look at what fits within your your day. But ultimately, try and bring this consciousness with you in every interaction.
1: That's it, because that 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 consciousness gets away from that right and wrong, left or right. It gets away from that, and it makes everything life, everything okay. And it's about processing it and being with it. And that's about that's truth and that's transformation.
0: That's truth. And that's a uh, transformation. Amazing. Uh, choose life. That's the thing that I'm, that's sticking with me from, from everything that you said, Robin, uh, where can people find you if they want to uh, connect with you online, social media or work with you?
1: Yeah. So I don't do a lot on social media. The only thing I've got is a LinkedIn profile. Um, that would be the best place. Uh, LinkedIn profile.
0: I'll add that into the notes so people can, can find you. Um, Robin, any any final words of advice if somebody is in their rock bottom right now?
1: If you're in your rock bottom and you don't know what the heck's going on, and you just and you really it's that bad, uh, I'm I'm an advocate of co-active coaches. Go and find yourself a co-active coach, and and get ask them to just uh, uh, here's a call you on your shit.
0: Love that. Call you out on your shit so you can start well, believing it. Yeah. And you can uh, be aware that there is another way to live and there are millions of people that do
1: it and you can be one of them. And you need someone who isn't going to pansy to you. You need someone who's going to call you on your shit and say, there is a life out there waiting for you to live. Lovely,
0: amazing. Robin, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for your story. Petra, it was fantastic
1: going down memory lane. Thank you for your, thank you for your time and the opportunity. Cheers.
0: Thank you so much for listening. If something helped you today, please do share this episode with a friend and let them know that they are not alone. I know that for me, isolation kept me stuck much longer than I needed to be. So let's practice courage and talk to someone about what's going on, as that's the first step to making life amazing. Check out my website, PetraVelsVor.com, for your free Kickstarter plan, which will teach you to turn your biggest weaknesses into your greatest strengths. Join the community of people who are changing the way they view life's challenges and living life to the full. Until next time, goodbye.